Ladies and gentlemen, the Grad Life Podcast is back for 2018 after a bit of a long layoff. The reason for the time off is just that I was travelling around South America and arriving back in Ireland, getting things together and just getting my feet uh, under the table back here. The first interview I did was a couple of weeks ago with a guy called Ross McHugh, who was a friend of mine throughout commerce in university in, in Dublin. And he's a very smart guy, very interesting guy, and has done very well in LinkedIn over the past couple of years um, since joining there straight out of college. He's since moved down to Australia just a week ago, but I managed to get an interview with him just before he left, where he talked all things LinkedIn, how to get in, what it's like in there, all the benefits of working for a company like LinkedIn and the difference between it and some of the other major tech players, which sometimes people just sort of blend together, and his plans for Australia, why he's doing it, why he's doing it now, and what he hopes to get out of it. So it's a very good chat. Um, I think there's lots to learn from him um, and from the conversation. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy. Good afternoon, guys, and Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 14 of the Grad Life podcast. I'm here with Ross McHugh, a friend from college who has been working in LinkedIn for the past three and a half years and has worked his way up the ranks in the sales organization to what is undeniably a very cool job that he's doing at the moment. Um, and he's actually about to depart for a trip down to Australia for a year as well. Yeah. So lots to chat about. Ross, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. Um, so I guess the goal for this session is pretty much to give these guys an idea of what it's like to work in LinkedIn. It's mm -hmm. one of the biggest tech companies in the world, one of the best to work for in terms of culture, uh, benefits, compensation, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And in my eyes, it's one of the brightest, it's one of the tech firms with the brightest future given that it's sort of, it, it, it's the grown up version of a social network mm -hmm. and it's, we're just coming into the period now, or to the, into the time where the people who grew up at social networks are about to be grown up. So it's um, I can see it having a very bright future. So we'll be a big employer in Ireland and other countries in years to come. Yeah, and um, I think it's kind of interesting now as well. I feel like in the last year or so, I found myself explaining to my friends less and less what LinkedIn really is. Do you remember in college people always yeah. said, hey, what's it for? I kind of feel like in the last year it's definitely changed a lot. Yeah. Where people are like actually saying how much they enjoy using the platform and yeah. stuff. So that's just from the platform side of things. I think it's taken off in the last year. Then also from a working point of view happy to talk to all that sort of stuff yeah yeah no I did like uh, for me as well I told you I deleted the Facebook app and I just use <laughs> like I go on LinkedIn then in the morning because the yeah. content is just more relevant and it's yeah. better quality and that sort of stuff um, so I think it is it's that reflection of like the, the shift in mindsets but how did you get here so I remember what was it three and a half four, four and a half years 2014, ago 2014 we finished college yeah so. you and I in the cafe in UCD and neither had some clue what we were going to do and I went to the bank wrongly and um, you you, you wanted to do something yourself and then you ended up uh, yeah. getting a good offer so like, here. In final year in college, um, basically every conversation we had was about starting businesses and trying yeah. to go off and do our own thing. That's pretty much all that I wanted to do. And then I had gone to... So in actually second year, I'd interviewed for an internship in LinkedIn. Didn't get it. I don't know if you knew that. Right. Um, didn't actually know what the role was for that I was interviewing for. So that was probably a big learning for me when I left. I think it was actually for a sales role. I went in talking about marketing for a good... 40 minutes and they were obviously like you don't know what sort of role this actually yeah. is um, so I left didn't get that and then the final year um, in college there was a talk on in UCD 
and it was one of those do you know those talks that are on and like half of the year seems to just not want to go to them mm. so I got PwC or in or Google or in and there seems to be a very low attendance to that sort of stuff yeah so I went to that talk that LinkedIn gave. It was absolutely amazing. They're talking about you know the economic graph where they're trying to connect the the global economy, um, and then they're talking about their grad program and what they were doing. And um, the guy that gave the talk, he was saying, you know, we're having coffee and refreshments afterwards. If anyone wants to come over, I'd love to chat to people. And like five people went over to him, and I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, why would no one like? You could get a job out of a five minute chat with this guy. So I went over and ended up getting on really well with them. Uh, and I actually was mainly talking about trying to understand LinkedIn's whole business model, trying to learn like what sort of roles they had. But in my head, I was always going to go off and do my own thing um, and start a business. Yeah. Um, but I figured that I'd probably need a year or two of sales experience to be a successful entrepreneur if I was to do that. Uh, and the big thing behind that was probably watching Wolf of Wall Street or one of those <laughs> sorts of movies where you see them all sell and make money. Um, I thought, you know, if you can sell someone on an idea as a businessman you're probably going to be pretty successful so ended up learning a lot about LinkedIn's business model that they're actually a massive sales organization with seven or eight thousand salespeople globally out of like 14,000 employees right so like it's a massive part of their business is actually selling software yeah. um, so he kind of started selling me on the idea of you know don't go and sell cars or whatever that's the wrong type of sales to be learning if you're trying to be an entrepreneur you should learn tech sales and learn how to sell software. Hmm. Um, and that kind of that conversation kind of sparked the idea of maybe I should go do this for three years and then after that try and start my own business. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I went through the interviews, got the role, kind of been doing sales for the last three years since. And you ended up going in. That's um it's an interesting lesson there because as you know, I wouldn't have gone to any of those talks. <laughs> I went to one, I went to the Boston Consulting Group one. Yeah. Um, I remember going to that. It was all these guys who were way smarter than me from economics <laughs> and finance, and I was like, God, I'm out of my league. Um, and I remember just like, I wouldn't go to a Google one. I wouldn't. I would never have thought to, and I never yeah. applied to Google because I thought you needed to code. Yeah. That's how little I knew about the organization, and I think they take in probably hundreds of sales yeah. grads every year. Yeah. Um, and I just had no idea about that. So I think lesson one for anyone for students listening. Definitely go to these talks and learn about the businesses and that sort of stuff. And the other thing that I learned from that, once I got in here, was chatting to the head of the grad program, you know, two or three months into the role, he's going to UCD to try and hire graduates. Like, he's not going there to just say, like, yeah. here's how great LinkedIn is as a company. He's trying to find people. Yeah. So for you to go up to him, you're making his life so easy. They're there for the take. Yeah. So it kind of was an eye-opener for me to actually, like, be pushy go up and introduce yourself to people because I've gone back to UCD a couple of times uh, to give different talks on LinkedIn and how to make your profile and all that sort of stuff um, and loads of people come up to me and say like oh I'd love to learn about different job opportunities there and stuff and you actually do remember all of those people that come up to you yeah. um, and say like tell me about this because they're actually curious you know it's nice to have someone have a, an interest in what you're speaking about Yeah. so I think that's one thing probably as Irish people we don't do enough is mm. go up after those talks and actually introduce yourself and say hello. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. Mm. So you went in, you were the only person I knew who went into LinkedIn. I knew lots of people going into Google. Yeah. But LinkedIn were kind of like just sort of flying almost below the radar at that time, I remember. They were yeah. they were big, but they were nobody was talking about them as much as, as they were about Google. So they didn't have a grad program. So they're kind of building building the plane as they're falling through the sky type of a thing with, right. with this grad program. So I started off, and they had done it for a year in the US, and then they went 
and they decided to bring it to Dublin. They hired five English people and five internationals, so it was mainly language hiring, so it was French, Spanish, uh, Arabic, Romanian, and uh, German. Right. Um, so there's 10 of us that started off the grad program, and they were kind of figuring it out as they went along. So they didn't have a brand. That's probably why no one knew about it. Mm. Um, they hadn't done much promotion. It was mainly just that talk in UCD. I think they did a talk in like DCU as well, and maybe Trinity. Yeah, okay. And that was their like first chance at, like, we need to tell graduates about this new thing we're doing. Yeah. You know the way numerically inclined students in, say, commerce or any business course tend to veer towards doing the accounting exams yeah. because they want, obviously, they want to get a job when they finish. Mm-hmm. They want to make themselves employable. If you're not numerically inclined and you're thinking, well, I can't do that. I'm not going to do the accounting exams. What can I do? Yeah. The thing you can do is learn a language because all these tech firms are all in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dublin's the, the EMEA headquarters. Yeah. Uh, what's it, EMEA? Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Headquarters for all most of the world's biggest companies, yeah. and they all need salespeople in Dublin to get the tax benefit to talk to customers in these countries in their own languages. Mm. So if you don't want to do accounting exams or you know make yourself numerically strong throughout college, mm. do a language, do Spanish, French, Italian, whatever, German, and you'll make yourself way more employable to uh, tech companies or any yeah. company working out of their Dublin HQ. Yeah, and it's such a difficult thing as well for companies to hire people from international. Like, well, it's more expensive yeah, for them so as well. Because you need to relocate people from you know, colleges from all around Europe if yeah. you're going to come into grad programs. Where if there's, you know, Mark Maxwell speaks Spanish, great, we'll hire him and then yeah. he can just work the Spanish market for yeah. us. Yeah, that would be the dream. <laughs> and and um, culturally, if you're, you know, if you're an Irish guy or an English guy or whatever, and then you learn to say Spanish. Mm. You will be strong. You'll be in addition to the culture within the office because you can in lo- relate to the locals. Mm. But then you can do you do your own job in that specific market as yeah. well. So that's a very good way for you know. Like I'm not going to uh, put people in in categories, but a lot of people who are kind of really outgoing and that sort of stuff, they don't find themselves being numerically inclined. Mm. They might want to go learn a language. That's an outgoing experience. You yeah. go somewhere and you chat to people and you have great fun. And then you make yourself much more employable as well. And one other thing, actually, when you speak about being numerically inclined, like, maths was by far my best subject in school. Like, I was terrible at English, terrible at history, all that sort of stuff. Did, like, applied maths and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and then I get into commerce and I started doing accounting and I was just like, this is so boring. Like, yeah. this is not for me. Like, if I spend my next 10 years doing this, like, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> so... As a person, like, and you remember in first year, I was absolutely terrible at public speaking. Like, yeah. Um, and it was something that I was always like, this is kind of a blocking skill for me to not be able to have, to be able to speak in public in front of a crowd or to even, you know, have a cohesive idea and explain it. Yeah. So for me then, a big point for me was learning this skill of public speaking and then progressing into sales where you're actually able to have a cohesive point and make it through. That mm. was a big point for me to say, can't just have this numerical skill. I'll go and learn how to present, you know, drop that fear, go into sales, go into that, yeah. um, and develop that skill. And it, it isn't, like, there's a lot of kind of misconceptions, I think, about sales as well, that you have to be this extrovert kind of debater that did, like, everything in school. Yeah. You know, it's not like that. There's a lot of introverts. Like, sales is a lot of listening, you know. So I think that's a big thing that maybe if you're, if you're listening to this and you think, I'm really numerically inclined, I'm real matsy, I have to do accounting. Yeah. It's not necessarily like that. Yeah. I remember um, one of the best guys on my team in Google and that sales team was an English guy. And one night he and I were out in Auckland, or no, in Rotorua, New Zealand, and we met an old friend of his. Mm. 
and the guy, the friend was like, oh man, of course you're doing well in sales, you could always talk. And he's like, yeah, I can, but that's got nothing to do with sales. <laughs> like, I'm a good listener. Like, yeah. sales is mostly listening, and that's the... And you even said the other day, what was that technique you were talking about? Uh, Sandler sales. The Sandler, where it's yeah. just about listen, 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 get all their problems, all the pain points, yeah. that sort of stuff. So it isn't about being, and we've covered that on this podcast before, it's not yeah. about being an extrovert or having the gift of the gab or whatever. Yeah. It's about being able to listen and identify what the pain points are and yeah. think about how a solution can be applied. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. So what did you do? So you came in here not part of a, of a, a kind of strict grad program. So it was, it was laid out that we were going to go through recruitment for three months. So I was hiring for uh, technical support roles here. So I was like using our products, trying to headhunt people from different companies to come and work here. So as soon as you get in the door, you turn around and start inviting other people in the door. That's yeah. like, right, okay, yeah. that's interesting. I'm doing like reference checks for people. I was doing like first stage interview screens. Trying to, so this program is called the Business Leadership Program. I should probably give it a plug. It's really good. Right. <laughs> if anyone's listening, I'd recommend going for it. Um, but I go in and then I did that for three months. Um, and then after that, I went into the technical support team, which would support all of our enterprise companies that we'd work with that have bought some of our software off some of the sales reps. Right. If it breaks, then I would have been answering the tickets that come in. Yeah. Okay. So you basically then get really intricately aware of what is this product, how does it work, what are its limitations, and when something goes wrong, how do I really fix this? Yeah. Um, so I did all that before I even went into sales. That was a great learning ground of become an expert in the product yeah. and then learn how to sell it. How would you summarize the product here? Because you and I wouldn't have known this in, in yeah. college as well. Like what LinkedIn is a hiring platform primarily? Yeah, so like LinkedIn is obviously the member platform first and foremost. So people come on, make their profiles, they connect with others, they use that ecosystem to learn about industries, different professional stories, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So that's the main value proposition for a free member. On top of that, those free members can buy a little bit more access with the premium subscription. Uh, and I think that comes to about 20% of LinkedIn's whole revenue. So a lot of, pe- a lot of misconceptions is that like premium subscriptions is the way that LinkedIn makes money. Yeah. Uh, a big part of it is actually monetizing the member database where you're selling a, a access for a company to be able to headhunt people. Mm. So you're actually helping companies to, to A, headhunt, and then also to run ad campaigns to highlight what it's like to work in their companies to these right. specific target audiences. So I'm sure you've probably seen ads if you're using LinkedIn of, you know, picture yourself at EY or picture yourself yeah. at these companies. That's a product that those companies are buying okay. to, to drive awareness of their company, show it's like to work there. Um, so it's kind of it's called LinkedIn Talent Solutions. So it's business software that you would have someone in LinkedIn consult with you on, which would be what I do. Um, where someone would say, "Look, we've all these hiring challenges. We're trying to find software developers. We're trying to find all these different people. You know, you guys have five hundred million members. Can you help us find them and make them want to work here?" So that's kind of an overview of kind of the main value proposition. On top of that, there's two other or three other really business units as well. Um, so there's LinkedIn marketing solutions, so that's kind of like a B2B advertising product, so it's basically sponsored updates, Yeah. Okay. Um, advertising your business software to a sales director, an IT director yeah. in a company. Um, the other would be LinkedIn sales solutions, which is for salespeople to be able to actually um, prospect into their target accounts. So if you're a sales rep in Google and you say, right, we need to 
find out who the head of marketing is in this target account that you want to work with. You can find out who they are, how you're connected, if other people in your company happen to know them. You can figure out you know, what sort of news is there about this organization through Sales Navigator, which is the kind of main product. I don't know if right. you use that in Google. Yeah, we used to, um, yeah. And then the other is um, LinkedIn Learning, which is probably the newest business line, which is essentially lynda.com. Do you remember Linda? Oh, the, the, the e-learning. Courses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been, we bought that in 2015 for $1.5 billion and have rebranded it as LinkedIn Learning. LinkedIn Learning. Um, God, that's huge. Yeah. It's the biggest acquisition, I think, in LinkedIn's history. Right. Um, so that, that kind of was, it's, it's fairly complex to have that many different business units. So Yeah, how is the revenue split? Are you able to... So LinkedIn Talent Solutions is 60%. Right. Um, so that's getting licenses code. for companies yeah. to hire. Yeah. Okay. Then Sales Solutions, I'm not entirely sure of the percentage. Um, and then Marketing Solutions, I think it was 20%. Right, okay. Um, but I'm not entirely sure anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. God, that's a huge... Um, Oh, I didn't know that uh, Linda would have been that big yeah. an acquisition. But that would be the biggest in LinkedIn's history apart from LinkedIn itself. What was it last year? Well, LinkedIn, Microsoft. Yeah. So LinkedIn was acquired by Microsoft yeah. for $26 billion. What Do you consider yourself a Microsoft employee now? Yeah, or? so we no, are Microsoft. part of Microsoft, but it's still very separate brands. You know? Right, okay. So like LinkedIn is still a company that operates. Do you know the way when Google acquired YouTube? Yeah. Like YouTube didn't, it's become, still YouTube. Yeah, it didn't become Google Video. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that would kind of be the main thing on. So it hasn't changed too much culturally or anything like that. No, right. Okay. Really changed on our side. Yeah. Completely different business units. And in terms of culture, then we've talked about the differences of what it it seems to be quite different mm. to um, Google and, and maybe Facebook as well. And as we were saying the other night, as Shane said, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, they always get mentioned in the same breath, mm. culture wise and everything wise. In Dublin, really. yeah. In I Dublin, suppose, yeah. But they're really quite different. Mm. So what's the culture like here? You talked about working hours being a bit different to Google and yeah. other things. So it's, it's difficult for me to say definitively what other people and other companies yeah, sure, do. Yeah. Um, but based, based off my understanding of other companies, LinkedIn is one of the few companies that really want to be working at at the moment. Um, like on average, I work probably 40 hours a week, maybe less. Right. Um, so LinkedIn is, but I suppose that might be reflective of the role that I have now. When I started off, I would have done 55 hour weeks for maybe four or five months. Right. So it's, it's not like you're coming in and you're doing a half day and then leaving. Um, so at this point now, after being here for about three years, I would normally work about 35 to 40 hours a week. Um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that LinkedIn is this culture of, you know, work smart, not hard. If you can get your job done nine to five, brilliant. That's, yeah. that's exactly what we want. Um, so like you're measured purely on a, um, on a results point of view, um, as well as a couple of other things. I suppose it's not really just purely results. They try and measure things other than just results, right. like how, how you are as a leader in the team and then also leverage, so how you do more with less. Um, so it's leadership leverage results, the way people get measured here. Right. But predominantly your results as a sales rep kind of speak for themselves. If you're doing 120% of your target and you're working 35 hours a week, no one's going to be telling you to come in and do another yeah. 10 hours a week, you know, yeah. or 20 hours a week. Um, so the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Um, would, the, would your hours now be reflective of other people who are three years in or four years in? 
Well, it's difficult to say. Like, I, my whole thing at work is try and do everything as quickly as possible and reduce any sort of waste in terms of, you know, if it's not revenue generating or if it's not something that's helping a customer, then why am I doing it? Like, if yeah. I'm spending two hours creating a slideshow for a customer and there's a 50% fifty percent chance they're going to show up for that meeting, then why did I do that? Yeah. Um, spend 10 minutes on that and then spend that other hour and 50 minutes trying to find more customers to yeah. send to. So that's more how I would prioritize my time to actually do that. And generally, if you see someone that's working 55 hours a week, people are more in, internally are saying, you know, that person needs to get better at time management versus, yeah. you know, the, it's, it's kind of not like a, a across the board. Um, yeah, thing, I remember my, one of my managers in Google told me that as well when I joined. Was coming from a bank. Mm. He was saying, "No, I don't want to see you doing those hours here. If you are, it will just look like you, you're not doing your job. Yeah. Right. You're struggling or something." <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thing to be here for sixty hours a week. Yeah, that's an interesting change to um, to for, for from like traditional working consulting. Yeah. Finance, all that sort of stuff. We spoke about this. Like, if you're actually coming here to do a skilled role where you're going to add value, you can't be spending twelve hours a day. You know working because your brain just turns to mush after eight like i can't actually think after eight or nine hours cohesively or do anything that's going to be really valuable Mm. so if you're going to be working on important stuff then i think you kind of need to have a clear head and be able to think yeah um whereas if you're just putting numbers into a database or you're just answering kind of mindless customer requests then that's maybe something that you could spend 12 hours a day doing yeah um yeah i think there's definitely a limit on what you're able to actually output versus your time you know yeah it was my opinion I felt just like for me that I that Google was focusing on getting the best short to medium term out of me or out of its workers mm. from what I saw rather than long term and it sounds like LinkedIn do the long term thing so short term yeah. wellness as opposed to long term wellness yeah and long term wellness is obviously what someone wants to work mm. for and with and that sort of thing yeah um, like sustainable working hours sustainable working culture sustainable targets yeah all that sort of stuff yeah now that's not to say that you know LinkedIn is, is somewhere where you're going to come and it's going to be really easy to do your job either so while it is somewhere where you can get your job done in 40 hours a week yeah like it's, it's a company that has a high bar for results it's you know it's, it can be tough at times but I suppose that's really in any sort of job. I, yeah, I don't think sure. I'd want a job that's completely easy either. Yeah. Because you get bored of it. Yeah, you need you just challenge, right? Yeah, so it is actually quite challenging work. It is very rewarding. Um, but again, you can get it done in like a realistic timeline and have a good work-life balance. Yeah. So like there's stuff that that we do here. I'm sure they probably do it in other companies um, around you know wellness. And there's obviously a full gym in here where you can go and take an hour and do a class during the day. Um, I try and go to meditation we have a meditation class here every day at half two right where you do you lie down in the gym and do guided meditation where they play like music and someone guides you through breathing exercises for 15 minutes um we're down in the cafe there as well there's class yeah amazing food um but again it's it's something that and there's like playstations and all that sort of stuff but you know somewhere where you come in you get your job done you kind of make sure that you're looked at looking after yourself as well yeah and even in the busiest time of the year all of the directors and managers would always say, like, make sure you're looking after yourself if you don't want people burning out. Yeah. Well, there is a high bar and there is a lot of work to do. Like, there's no problem with taking, you know, an hour and going to the gym to clear your head at lunch, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, because there's no point in you getting too freaked out over results or, 
hours or anything like that. Yeah, you know? no, Google had the same um, mentality and that sort of thing. It was very fun to work there. There was a lot yeah. of events going on and there was always, like, say, a speaker coming in or um, team events, events with the whole floor, uh, like, activities, all that sort of stuff. Do you guys do that sort of thing yeah. as well? Yeah, there's loads of stuff. Jeez, I can barely think back like to the it's last three and a half years. It's like a bloody yeah. social club. Like, yeah. There's just so much <laughs> happening all yeah, the time. Yeah, because it's a quite a young workforce. Um, I think the average age is, like, 27 or 28. In, right. in most tech companies as well. Like, yeah, I guess, yeah. probably the same. Um, where there'd be like big summer parties like we have we'd like a big carnival team where you'd have you know those things where you have to swing the hammer and hit the thing and like be concerts yeah um, then like a Christmas party was in the Guinness storehouse and stuff so like it's it's a cool party life as well um, loads of different events different speakers coming in as well yeah um, it is it is really cool like we had Brezzy come in and talk about mental health oh no which was really, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that was a really really good talk Jeff Wiener's obviously been over a good bit, obviously, as a CEO, which gives different different talks, and they're amazing as well. Does he come over a lot, given it's the... He comes over about comes once a year or so. Right. Um, but, yeah, so that, like, there is... And then there's lots of stuff in the US. So, like, there's the LinkedIn speaker series as well. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, Gary Vee has been into New York, um, and they've had loads of people into the offices in the US as well. Right. Um, I couldn't tell you. They're all on YouTube, like... Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that's I think that's a big, uh, almost overlooked thing mm. that companies do like expose you to leaders in every area, and yeah. it's very very inspirational. And can sometimes be like course and life changing for people when they're in yeah. the audience and they see someone up there doing that stuff. Yeah, like I, I Gary Vee wasn't in Dublin or he wasn't in the Dublin office for LinkedIn, but he was in the Mansion House uh, about six or seven months ago. Right, uh, me and another lad in LinkedIn went went to it, and Gary Vee was one of those sorts of people when you see him live, like. I just thought he was unbelievably inspiring. Yeah. Um, and motivational and all that sort of stuff. Uh, like he'd be definitely one of those sorts of people. That I think is really really inspirational. Yeah. One of those where it's like, okay, I actually need to up my game here and yeah. I need to work a bit harder. Yeah, he's um, a hustler. He works yeah. very very hard. Yeah. I remember you saying that Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, came here a few years ago yeah. and gave a talk, didn't he? Yeah, and it's kind of strange, like seeing someone that's like so well known globally and like is a tech like mogul yeah and see him walking through and like he's not wearing like a like a fucking three or four grand suit or anything yeah. like that you know he's wearing like slacks and he's chilled out and strolling through like um and like he, he came and he did a talk about two years ago and like one of the main things that I took away from his talk was someone in the audience said like you know you've obviously built PayPal you've built LinkedIn you know, you've had an incredibly successful career, like, what was the highlight? And he said that his, in his whole career, he's never looked back on any of his achievements. He's always thinking about the next big thing. Right. Or what is coming up in the next 5, 10, 20 yeah. years. And it kind of was one of those moments where you're like, no one thinks like that. Mm. Like, I always turn around and say, like, geez, I did well there for the last six months. Like, yeah. pat myself on the back. <laughs> like, he doesn't do that. Doesn't not Yeah. Well. He's just like, I'm 100% focused on the future yeah. all the time. And I'm sure to get to his level, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, like, I'm sure Elon Musk isn't saying, like, great Jesus job to myself, yeah, yeah, like, launching that rocket. I'm sure he's like, when's the next one launching? When are we doing the next car? Like, <coughs> yeah, you have to be that sort of character. Yeah, the three guys you named, you, you know, but a lot of people wouldn't, yeah. are all part of the PayPal Mafia. Yeah. Um, and they're definitely worth looking into for anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship or anything because 
So there was, well, I think there was five or six guys, or maybe seven, who founded PayPal. Yeah. Peter Thiel became, or, and so they all founded together, and then Peter Thiel went on to become one of the biggest venture capitalists in the world. Yeah. Elon Musk became Elon Musk. Um, Reid Hoffman founded LinkedIn then. Yeah. And now is a big venture capitalist as well. Yeah, he's and on then, the board of Microsoft as well now since the acquisition. Yeah, and he's also a partner in a big uh, VC firm. Yeah. And all the other guys went on to do different things. There's a Russian guy, Max, I can't remember what he did. There's like a, there's a graphic out there of like all the different companies that have been started by the people. By the people. Have you seen that? No, I would have yeah. seen a variation of it. And yeah. it's like 30 of the main companies that you would generally yeah. speak about. So that's like Airbnb... Like Twitter, I think it was Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's amazing. Tesla, it's crazy. Yeah. So anyone out there, PayPal Mafia, look Google at that. It, yeah. It's uh, they're very very inspiring yeah. guys. Worth listening to all of them. Um, yeah. They have for loads sure. of videos on YouTube of them speaking. Oh, you'd be there for a week. Yeah. 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 There's loads. A couple of months worth of listening. Yeah. <laughs> There's loads of content and that sort of stuff there. Um, how long do people stay around LinkedIn for? I'm actually not sure on the numbers, um, because like bear in mind, LinkedIn only opened here in two thousand and ten. Right. Okay. So you probably don't have enough data to see like the average tenure of a, a rep in LinkedIn. Yeah. Because um, that's the reason I asked. There's a lot of people in Google who do their own things on the side. Yeah. And Google is such a good. So when I was in Google, I had um this spreadsheet, and I called it GBS Google Business School. Yeah. And I was writing down what I was learning from about technology and about sales and about everything that I was exposed to in there because these places are like universities because they're yeah. doing like you named five revenue generators for LinkedIn yeah. they're doing so many things that you just go in young and you just take all the information yeah. and you're empowered then to go off and do and you've been very well trained for empowered then to go off and do different things yourself and yeah. so I think a lot of people maybe not without the spreadsheet <laughs> they do that sort of thing they learn as much as they can they get something going on the side mm. and then after five years or whatever they will go off and give that a crack if it's growing. Yeah. Um, do they? Is it a similar sort of thing here, or are most people yeah. happy enough with the? Yeah, a lot of people will come in learn. So the whole thing about LinkedIn's culture is it's about a culture of transformation of the employees um, themselves, professionals. It's right. a big value proposition that LinkedIn talk about for new employees. It's like in every every new starter, your first conversation with your manager pretty much is what do you want to do when you leave. Right. So how do we make sure that the next two, three, five years help you to get there? So if you want to start a business, what sort of skills are you trying to learn? If you want to learn how to sell, then you're in this role. Or if you want to learn how to, in finance or operations or marketing, then you know they put a plan in place for you. Yeah. You know potentially after a year and a half of your current role to transfer, or if you're already in the right role, then the skills you need to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. So. The big thing is people identifying what they want to do after LinkedIn from the get-go. Right. So it is very much a similar learning culture like that where you're identifying, here's what I want to do, and then putting a plan in place to get there. Yeah. And it's a very open conversation about that sort of stuff. Um, so a lot of people will go off and do, you know, some people go off and do like LinkedIn consulting businesses where they, you know, help companies, they start their own kind of LinkedIn consulting shops. Um, other people come into it's different a big companies. Thing. I guess people do it on Some Google. Yeah, do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Where you sell, you like you sell your ability to work with the yeah. advertising platform. I think stuff. it is. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure of what the details of what people do, but That's I've seen a couple of, couple of people doing that sort of stuff. Mm. Some people go off and start their own businesses. Um, a lot of people go to other companies as well. Yeah. Um, I remember when I left Google, someone said that to me there, like, and they had worked for Google as well, and they just said like, you can always 
turn around and start making money by just selling your ability to work Google's advertising yeah. tools. Like it's because yeah. they're such a big thing, and yeah. so is LinkedIn and, yeah. and Facebook too. So these places are good to join if lifestyle entrepreneurship is a part of what you want. If you yeah. just want to make a few bob while you're Absolutely traveling, you like can do that. Yeah, um, I think that's a, a pretty good idea. You mentioned the New York office there. Do people travel a lot here? Can you move around offices easily or is it difficult or what? So it's a little bit more complex than just like picking up a phone and saying, hey, can I move to New York uh, tomorrow? Right. Um, so like a lot of, there's a lot of different factors in companies like this around you know, your tenure, your results. Um, a lot of it is around visas, um, different roles that are open. Mm-hmm. So like... In a company that has you know ten thousand plus employees, they have to plan and say, right, there's an actual role here for someone to actually fill. Yeah. So it's not like you can just say, right, I'm going to go do my job over there when they're already fully staffed. Yeah. Because then they have an extra person working yeah. on that team that they didn't expect. So, it's kind of a complex process. People do move. Um, there are people all over the world in LinkedIn that have there's like thirty offices or more around the world. Right. Um. Lots of people that have moved to Australia, lots of people that have moved to San Francisco or New York. Um, it does happen, um, but it's kind of a complicated process. What's well, it like okay. in Google? Is it like Google? I, I can There's probably as I told you, probably about 150 people on my floor yeah. in Google and in Sydney, Australia, and about 10 of them are Australia. Yeah. Um, maybe less. Yeah, like just about around 10. Yeah. Like everyone was from different countries. Yeah. So they seem to have well. They do have an international culture like that and one of movement. And it is, you still have to tick the same boxes yeah. of performance and that sort of yeah. stuff. I presume it would be the same in most companies. Like yeah. yeah, but Sydney in particular is one of the most transient places because everyone wants to do their stint, yeah. you know, for two years or whatever it is. And it's it pretty is. easy to get into Australia as well. Like, yeah, The is, big yeah. thing is visas. Yeah. the US is a bit of a nightmare because you have to be a critical skill to the US economy to be justified to move over there. Australia, technically you do as well, but they're yeah. just easier on it. Yeah. They've actually, they picked up the slack and they, be, they, they changed the laws probably last year yeah. and it's become a bit harder. They changed it early last year, but it's still fine. If you work with someone like Google or LinkedIn or whatever, yeah. that change won't apply to you. So yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. So that's a big benefit of these places. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to talk about your gig now because that involves... A lot of travel, yeah. but not actually moving locations. Yeah. So you're in <laughs> South Africa like five yeah. months a year, right? So, what, so I initially, I suppose maybe just before we go into the Africa uh, part of the job, I went from the grad program into sales development. I worked the UK market. What for, do you do in sales then? Um, so you're lead generation, so you're qualifying opportunities, so you're calling people up understanding if they're a viable opportunity for the business. Right, okay. Like pre, pre-sales. Yeah, yeah, pre-sales, and you pass that to an account executive. Yeah, okay. So generally you're having lots of like 15-minute conversations saying, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, um, passing it to the account executive, and they would take the full sales cycle from there. Is that like all cold calling? No. So a big. So what Sales Navigator is trying to accomplish as a product is to eliminate cold calling. Right, okay. Build, help companies to build business relationships in the right way and start them in the right way because if you think about it you know if you're a company that sells software you know another company needs that software to fix a problem so why is there this weird kind of dance song and dance around you calling me 20 times and me not answering and then you know us getting in an argument for five minutes on the phone when you know we might have my neighbor might know you yeah, and they could just say, "Hey, Mark, would you mind introducing me to John? He's the head of IT in that company." Mm. Uh, yeah, oh, he sells this software. Oh, cool, we're in the market for that, and it's because it's an introduction. So that's what Sales Nav is trying to help accomplish. 
So what we use in sales development is a lot of that sort of tactic around you know, intelligent prospecting of trying to get introductions, trying to lead with insights when you're engaging with people right. uh, and try and make, make it very clear what it's like for them to engage with you. So I don't think I made any cold calls in my year and a bit in sales dev. Right. Um, Jeez, that's remarkable. Not for a lack of, of success of creating pipe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not really a cold call engine here. Um, and there incredible. are teams, that, there are people that say, like, look, it works for me in this market or it works for me in yeah. this team. Um, and, you know, it can be effective to do occasionally for an hour or two. But yeah. generally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a lot because, you know, 98% of people don't respond to a cold call. So it's pretty low value game, like. Yeah. Um, that was about ninety five percent of the pre sales role, yeah. in Google. And again, it really depends on your on your business and who you're selling to. You know, if you're calling up a florist, if that's your target audience, call them up. Like yeah. that's a simple. They're gonna answer, and the person that owns the shop is probably gonna give you ten minutes of their time. Yeah. Whereas we would we're selling to companies that would have you know over a hundred plus. 150 employees that have departments yeah you know they have lots of software companies call them trying to sell them so it's kind of a different game you know yeah fair enough that's interesting so I was it sounds like I was obviously different titles and stuff but it sounds like my title at Google would have translated into something like account executive or like what you're talking about there not pre-sales the one after that yeah and I was doing a lot of cold calling. Yeah. Not like not an awful lot, but a fair bit. Yeah. And the guys, the pre-sales guys who, who were your sales dev, they were doing it constant. Like that yeah. was their job. Yeah. That's unbelievable that you guys, the the pre-sales weren't even doing it here. That's quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, but it was a great skill to learn. So yeah. while it, it it's quite annoying and pretty crap while you're doing it, and you know it's very very tiring and stuff. It's actually a really, really good skill to learn. And yeah. now as I kind of get grad life going, I'm calling people up and <laughs> I don't even think about it. Like you just call and say, hey, is he or she there? Let's set a time and then yeah. off you go. Yeah. Um, so it is a good skill. Because like, I remember when I started Google, I was the first one. I was like, God, this is, like, I'm going to interrupt this guy's day. It's going to be horrible, yeah, yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then after a few weeks, you're just doing it. Like, yeah, it's a breeze. Yeah, and them as well. They're used to that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So know? it actually is, as much as people sort of look down on cold calling, it's actually a very good skill to learn. Yeah. And I did um, it in, in UCD. Um, in my first uh, I had a two or three month job where I was doing cold calling calling up alumni saying you know I'm part of the UCD foundation I remember that, I remember that. Yeah, I think yeah. he nearly went through it as well yeah I thought about um, it and um, basically it was cold calling people trying to get donations um, that sort of stuff so it's, a, it's because because it's, it's such yeah. a hard thing to do that's what makes it so worthwhile I think yeah. um, it's but, a very um, worthwhile thing to get, get into yeah so I did sales dev anyway for a year and then I went in as an account executive um, working in the African team. Right. Um, so we sell into kind of three primary markets, which are Kenya, South Africa, and um, Mauritius. Right. So basically I've been doing that for the last year, um, and we are all based in Ireland. Um, there's 10 of us that work that region, and then we go down there uh, in a fly-in, fly-out business model. Um, so we basically are all selling software to South African companies um, where we'd have you know all your prospecting a lot of your initial calls done here and then you go down and meet people to kind of just work out the kinks of you know is this viable for you like does this match your priorities you know maybe meet some other people that need to be convinced on you know the value that our software would bring 
So your job, you're doing a lot of email selling here and like, you know, email yeah, and, virtual, and then you go down there and you yeah, do, do a lot of video calls, yeah. um, a lot of virtual demonstrations, kind of explaining the products, how they work, um, and then try and go down there and do, you know, more of a business conversation. Like I w- would rarely be presenting stuff in a business meeting because, you know, a lot of what we do here is, you know, consultative sales. So mm. it's more like, what are your priorities? What are you actually trying to achieve? Is this matching with it? Yeah. Um, and generally it is because it's really good software. Yeah. Um, so that would kind of be an overview of what we do. Um, Interesting. And you get cool jobs like that in places like LinkedIn then. So what other yeah. countries do people go, you go to South so, Africa? Where do so I go to South Africa. See, that's probably the most interesting one. You know, a lot of people would, if you're working the French market here, you'd go to France. If you're working the Spanish market, you'd go to, Spa- you'd go to Spain. Latin yeah. America? They're probably down in America. Yeah, then. we have an office in South Carolina that would... Ah, oh, right, okay. That. Um, so I probably would travel more than most because right. we're in this kind of model at the moment um, where we don't have an office in South Africa yet. Um, might happen in the next few years, I'm yeah. not sure. Um, but that's, that's kind of just a situation where I've managed to kind of land in this position where I get to travel to the other side of the world yeah. five times a year and sell software, which is really cool. All, all expenses paid, obviously, for business trips. If anyone's wondering, obviously... I'm not paying for those sort of yeah, trips, yeah. you know, it's for the business and going down there to, to do business with companies and, you know, in, in my head I'd have a revenue number that I'd want yeah. to be bringing out of it, you know, it's not for a charity, you know, there's an idea of, right, we need to, to grow the business here. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's the thing I've kind of learned with business trips is like at first you kind of think, say for me, if oh, I was yeah, going to Melbourne, yeah. it's like, oh God, what clubs are open in Melbourne? <laughs> and then you can like after a while you realise there's actually probably more pressure on these trips yeah. than anything else because the, the company is already down whatever five grand for yeah. sending you there or more for South Africa yeah. and we're going to make that back up yeah like you can't go down there and just kind of shoot the shit with people all the yeah. time while it is nice to build relationships and all that sort of stuff if you go down there and you don't close any new deals or you know nothing comes of it yeah. then like it's not going to keep happening yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, and business travel can become tiring after a while as yeah well. like I've done eight trips now and it's it's tiring um and it's it's kind of losing its sexiness of like class I guess travel to the other side yeah. of the world it, it kind of becomes like like I'm going to have to be gone for eight days pack my bag four times yeah. and like bad for like relationships yeah. missing party missing yeah. like birthdays or whatever because like if I go to South Africa five times a year for a week at a time that's like ten weekends because you go on a weekend and come back oh yeah, yeah. So that's like ten weekends out of 52 yeah. a year you're missing like there's just it's not like the end of the world obviously it's class that I get to go to South Africa and see the world and learn about different cultures and business and all that sort of stuff like I've loved it um, but it does kind of get to the point where it's like a 12 hour flight like, yeah that's a lot it's <laughs> funny know? how that works yeah it's, it, grass is always greener like it always it really looks, is it's Instagram and ruining people's perceptions of what's real life yeah. and what's not you know like there's everything has a downside to it yeah when I was out of college I was in that as in the investment bank and when my Aussie visa came through, I lived in a hotel in Singapore for a month. And, like, it was, it was <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it was every dream I'd ever had come true. But then by the fourth weekend, I was like, get me out of here. This yeah. is horrible. Like, I, I, I hate living out of a suitcase. The hotel and, room. Yeah, and... sick of the hotel vibe and stuff. And yeah. I love hotels. Like, yeah. I love them more than anyone. But it was just driving me nuts. So the grass just turned, you know. Yeah. And um, it isn't... 
I wouldn't go for a job purely based on that stuff, but yeah. it's pretty cool if you're incentivized that way. Yeah. Especially first year out of college. Oh, absolutely. Like, it was like amazing to get the opportunity to go down to South Africa. I've never yeah. been to the Southern Hemisphere before. Right. To go eight times in a year and a half is insane. Yeah. Um, and get to see all the sites, and you have a bit of downtime in the evenings and stuff where you can kind of see different places. You That's can have cool. on the weekend and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really fun. Um, That's very was, cool. And you're back down in the Southern Hemisphere now. Yeah. So and moving to yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, moving to <laughs> Melbourne uh, in uh, February, so about a month. Um, Why did you do that? Why did you do? Why did you build a career so well in four years and then go? So like, I'm not. I so there's obviously there was the opportunity really to go and move down there with LinkedIn and to to keep my job and and do that. Um, but in my mind, I'm kind of in the mood to switch off from professional life for a little bit, um, and to you know, take two or three, four months away from the workforce and, like, surf and travel and, like, just be a kid for a little while. Yeah. Because, like, you, you're probably in the same boat. You've probably, probably done this in the last few months where came out of college straight away and after, like, a month was in here and I've been here for the last three and a half years. Yeah, taking, you were in maybe, straight like, away, yeah. Like, take, and you can, like, when you're in a company, like, you're really taking two weeks off at a time or maybe three weeks if you plan your holidays well throughout the year. Um, and then weekends but you're not ever taking like three months yeah you're not having that summer holidays you always had in school so I kind of thought you know I've been here for three and a half years built up loads of skills that you know I'm sure would be pretty marketable to other companies if I want to get down there or even to LinkedIn um, I might I'm definitely going to have conversations with people in the Melbourne office and LinkedIn um, but I think it's good to just take three three months off and chill and kind of recollect your thoughts on what am I doing in my career what am I really trying to achieve do I want to progress up the sales ladder and go into management do I want to completely pivot and go into like a product management role where I'm helping build products or startups or you know podcasts or you know try and figure that sort of stuff out so that's where my head is at making this decision and then two of my best mates um, one of them was in our year in college uh, it's going down as well so I think it was just the time when it was right to go and yeah. take a bit of a break somewhere down there. Kind of a lot of things have aligned properly for me. So yeah, it, it's it's really exactly the same as my uh, my trip to South America. It's kind of a bit different because I was living abroad and yeah. I also wanted to come home. Um, but twenty five, you've worked. So I took a week off between college, my final exam, and starting <laughs> to work, and. A couple of, I don't know, a and you moved years. to the other side of the world. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah. Straight away, yeah. Yeah. So I had massive changes, like it was, um, you know, like tectonic changes, but you kind of realize within a couple of months, you're like, oh my god, that trip, that South American trip that I was wanted to do, like that's, I can't do that now because I only have three yeah. or four weeks that I to do things that I actually want to do yeah. during the year now, and I've got all this responsibility, etc. Yeah. And it just kind of let you let it go, and as you say. That's at 22, 23, 24, 25 that that happens. Yeah. When you're 32 to 35, that's much more intense. There's yeah. no way you can take that time yeah. if you've got a family or other, like a mortgage, whatever responsibilities are there. Yeah, and we, we were talking about this two days ago about, you know, obviously the time value of money. Like, yeah. If you have 10 grand at 25, I think that's worth 100 grand if you're 35. Because when you're 35, you probably have a kid, probably married... You know, it's very hard to like say, right, we're going to Australia for two months with our mates. Yeah. You know? So like I think it's exponentially more valuable to have money when you're in your mid twenties and to spend it and you know, even if it's 
now going to work on holiday like a J1 mm. like even though you might be living off nothing it's still going to be way more fun and doable than if you're you know in your mid 30s yeah um, I love that I love that idea that freedom increases the value of money yeah absolutely that's, yeah. that's my kind of takeaway from that I'm sure there's a multiplier someone will, probably, <laughs> someone will work it out based on your someone age measure what really freedom worth. yeah um, but no, I definitely agree. Um, and you know, I look back on my J one in in L A, and I was just like just flat broke, like constantly, yeah. like literally always. I ate um, McDonald's or Hungry Jacks or something like every day. <laughs> but like that's not the bit I remember. I remember yeah. just the crack and it yeah. being such good fun. Sleeping and, on air mattresses. And yeah, exactly. And yeah. Stuff. But yeah. we had there was six of us in a one bedroom. It had two. Um, it, it was a double bed, so people go head to toe, rotate by week, and then the other four on the floor. Like that's <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Like yeah. how skinned we were. <laughs> but like that's you know the little money we did have was so the, the value yeah. of it was so far multiplied because yeah. we were so free out there. Yeah. And so I think it's a it's a great idea and a good as you say like a good time to pivot as well at twenty five twenty six. Yeah. And one thing that I would have thought about as well when I was in college was, you know, you kind of think if I don't do it my first year out of college, I'll never do it. You know. Yeah. Um, and lots of people taught you like you took a gap year between sixth year and first year in yeah. college. People generally do it their first year out of college as well, but like you can do it after two or three years in a career, and then you're in a lucky position to say right I've. A, a job I have a skill set that's also marketable down there so I might not need to work on a building site yeah. or I might not need to work in a bar um, which could be really fun and I might do that as well but it's just one of those things that you know you can take a job your life won't stop mm. and you won't be committed to a 20 year like the workforce now is so much more transient um, than it yeah, used to for be sure. like, people change jobs on average like every 3 or 4 years for sure so it's not like if you start into a job that you'll be there for the next 20. And even like if you're in accounting or any of those sorts of roles, like once you get your accounting exams done after three years, I think a lot of people go and take a break as well. Yeah, I think it's yeah. almost like obligatory. Yeah, you have yeah. to tune out for a bit. So it's one yeah. of those sorts of things where you can take a break at any point in your career already. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think another thing about that is if you go away, say I went away after secondary school before mm. college, I, I didn't even have any questions to ask. Like, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I just wasn't even, my head wasn't even there. Yeah. And then if you go away after college, you have lots of questions to ask and you're kind of wondering, oh, I wonder mm. what this is like and what the working world is like, etc. But then if you go away now, three mm. or four years into working, the questions you ask, will uh, the answers to those will last a lot longer and they're much kind yeah. of deeper questions. Yeah. So, like, at, after college, you might be asking... I wonder what the working world is like. I wonder mm. how much money your grad makes. All that mm. sort of stuff. And the answers to those questions will last you a year or two, and then yeah. they just you know they're not useful anymore. Yeah. Whereas the questions you ask when you're kind of thinking, okay, I know what finance is like. I know what tech is like. Mm. Um, I have a feeling of what entrepreneurship might be like. Mm. I have an idea that might work, but this is why it wouldn't. Yeah. Um, this is my relationship. This is my experience with relationships and etc. The the answers to these the questions that you ask off the back of those those answers will last a lot longer yeah. they'll lead to there'll be input into decisions that will last a lot longer as well you know yeah absolutely so I think that's a really good point that you go it's very very good to go away at 25 after a few years of work yeah I think so anyway ask me again in a year <laughs> <laughs> you can't get a job yeah well, I, I think um, I think that is a very good sort of a uh, very good idea um, and why Australia why didn't you go somewhere else the visa thing was a big thing like yeah um, it's a good so like I hope I'm definitely doing the right thing here but I went on to the Australian website to get a visa and it was like auto approved 
in like two minutes that I got in a working holiday, four one seven visa, and that does me for a year, and it was like two hundred euro. Was Australia spelled right? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was like very affordable. Like if you want to go to the US, like you can go on a grad visa. Right. But then I'd probably need to do a diploma now or something because I'm out of college because you can only do it for a year after ah, right, college. Okay. Right. Um, and like London's just there. Like London's similar to Dublin. Yeah. It's yeah, a bit bigger. Yeah. It's more happening. But yeah, I'd like to go somewhere where there's a bit of sun, um, where I can work, good business opportunities. Yeah. I speak English. I'm terrible at languages. I don't know right. I'm the type of person that says like I can't learn languages, but I probably could. But in my head, I can't. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't want to go to like Argentina or somewhere like that, and then have to learn Spanish, just to survive. So yeah. Australia seems like a nice mix of everything. No, it is. It's like obviously it's kind of like a home for me, but it is class. Yeah. Um. Right. To finish up, then just kind of a few quick fires. You mentioned Reid Hoffman and Jeff Weiner as mm-hmm. being kind of um inspirational guys. Who else have you come across that is worth listening to uh, YouTube and Googling, reading about whatever. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has probably listened to Joe Rogan um, podcasts and, and stuff like that. Like, honestly, I just find those uh, podcasts, like Joe Rogan, some of the big ones, you find out about lots of other things through those podcasts. Yeah. Like, other uh, things. Like, mm-hmm. I, in, co- in uh, secondary school, I had no interest in history. And then he had, like, Graham Hancock and Randall Carson on talking about ancient civilization and mm. you know all that sort of stuff and I was so interested in that and then I fo- started following those two guys um, and then he had you know Neil deGrasse Tyson come on who's an astrophysicist and he's amazing at explaining like really complex uh, you know stuff about the universe and space and gravity and all that sort of stuff so I, I actually would recommend if, if you aren't listening to Joe Rogan I know pretty much everyone is but like definitely listen to him was a big thing for me to learn about other interesting people. Um, and me too. then I'm sure every he's probably the biggest podcast. Uh, he's actually the yeah. biggest podcast yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah that's is. that's been amazing. I listen to that probably every day. Right. Um, after to, you listen to the Grandlight. After podcast. I listen to yeah. That, yeah, 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 sure. Um, and then uh, I would listen to Gary V a lot. I love Tim Ferriss. Um, really the mainstream ones I don't, I don't really know if I have any, any kind of hidden gems well I'm um, surprised as a LinkedIn employee you didn't mention uh, Masters of Scale Reed Hoffman well that's class the only thing that I, I it's think very it's, it's a little bit overproduced I think it like, is I love I agree uh, I love Joe Rogan's one where it's just like right we're sitting there and having a chat about yeah. XYZ whereas that's really produced and there's ads in the middle of it and stuff I would number, so he's done a lot of other things that I think are really good yeah. like he did a series in uh, Stanford, which I was telling you about, uh, called Blitzscaling, and it's like a twelve episode thing on YouTube, um, where he has you know Reed Hasting on, he is Patrick Collison from Stripe, he's Jeff Weiner, um, he is the main guy from it's not Larry or Sergey from Google, the other guy. Oh, the old uh, Schmidt. Yeah, Eric Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Like it's an unbelievable uh, lineup yeah. that he has. That's the thing. He's episodes. got access to everyone. Everyone. So he does that twelve episode thing. It's called Blitzscaling. I watched it and it was like mind blowing around you know the course that he had designed for this semester in Stanford and it's all available for free is he a lecturer in Stanford? I think he's a guest lecturer oh yeah. okay that's cool um, so okay that's a good he does uh, amazing stuff um, there was one thing actually it's kind of irrelevant to this but it's just a mad uh, point um, there was I think Stanford did an online course where anyone in the world could enter and actually submit um, a test for some subject I can't remember exactly what it was um, and there was like 20,000 people took this test from all over the world and you'd expect like Stanford being an Ivy League school 
that you know all the Stanford students and a hundred or so in the class would be the top people. Yeah. But I think the first Stanford student came like four hundred and seventeenth. No way. Out of twenty thousand. Oh my god. So one thing that I think you might have mentioned that in the thing, and it's one of those things where you're kind of like, what is an Ivy League school like? Is that something that really is game changing for your intelligence, or is it just like you were in California and? that's the school your parents went to and they could afford to send you there. Yeah. Or and I think it's like it's definitely an eye opener for the way the talent and opportunity is distributed around the world. And I think this probably leads on to another question on this around, you know, what is the change in the world that I'd love to see, which is, you know, helping talent and opportunity align better. So like obviously when you think about, you know, Africa and obviously you've been working there for a long for the last year and a half you see a lot of talented people but less opportunity mm. um, and then you see you know people in you know the US which have loads of opportunity but you know maybe the, the skill set or whatever it might be it's, it's almost wasted on untalented you know? people yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's an imbalance there in how talent and opportunity are distributed around the world um, that's brilliant like so, it's not brilliant that it happens but it's a brilliant answer to that yeah. question <laughs> um, it's very unique and you've seen it firsthand, I'm sure in, in Africa yeah there's kind of talent imbalance yeah and you know you look at underprivileged minorities in the US and around the world where you know no one in their family went to college and they kind of say you know what I'm not going to go you know I'm from this disadvantaged area I'm going to go and sell drugs or whatever mm-hmm. it is you know and that's just something that talent is definitely something that is distributed evenly yeah but opportunity isn't yeah um, that's very very interesting huh I'm going to talk to you about that after <laughs> um, why did you wake up in college what was it what were you, what were you Getting out of bed for every morning as uh, you're going through college. I didn't like college at all, to be honest. I just, it was a piece of paper that I had to get. Everyone has a college that seems to say that. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, I honestly don't know how much me. I learned. Like, in, in three years, I feel like I learned maybe a little bit how to present better. Uh, we did a few group projects that might have been valuable for learning yeah. group dynamics. But I couldn't tell you any of the names of the papers I wrote. Couldn't tell you anything about, you know, data analysis or I don't even remember I like yeah. we I just did, felt we did, it wasn't uh, that valuable like if you think about what you did in Google or like what I've done in here around you know selling software understanding the, the business how it works the opportunities the threats yeah. their competitive landscape like that's really interesting you're yeah. actually learning real life stuff versus reading a case study on you know uh, what was the one that we always got uh, Zynga or one of them oh Zynga yeah. every time every yeah, single yeah. time Zynga comes up it's like yeah. I'm sick of this business like yeah <laughs> can we get something else I still remember that guy Mark something Mark like Pincus yeah Pincus that's yeah. the one um, I agree we did 20 hours a week on average for 6 semesters in 3 years mm. so whatever it was 260 hours um, uh, term if you're doing 13 weeks so you're doing like um a thousand five hundred and sixty hours of college. It's Rayman Matt's area. With that <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still on <laughs> But you're doing about that, fifteen hundred hours in three years. Imagine if we put fifteen hundred hours into self learning, like reading, watching video oh, YouTube videos yeah. and, and trying stuff. My biggest regret, so my answer to the question, which is another question for you, was what's your biggest regret in college? Mm-hmm. Mine is that I didn't start a business because we had so much time there yeah. and so much opportunity to learn through experience yeah. learn by doing you know and we didn't t- or I didn't take that you didn't really take that either yeah we kind of uh, and we made so many business plans I'm like oh this could be a good idea and stuff um, but I remember one of the projects that I was thinking about in college was delivery because I was working as a delivery boy for base pizza in Ballsbridge right. for two years in college and I was kind of like I'm sitting around here for so long 
like I could easily be going into the Indian restaurant next door and go do a delivery for them. Yeah. So I was trying to figure that out, but I think you I probably needed a data analyst or someone to figure out like the algorithm for where the driver would go and like the systems. Like I was nowhere near skilled enough to build that business. Well, you I just start small. You just, yeah. you just get up and go into the yeah. Indian fellow and say, hey, yeah. just want to be the right <laughs> Yeah. And it just goes from there. Yeah, I suppose it probably was a missed opportunity. Um, I think a mistake that maybe it sounds like both of us made in college was the thought that if you have to, if you're going to build a business, it has to be a massive business. And yeah. It doesn't. And that you need like 20 grand of investment yeah. to make it happen. You, you could have literally yeah. just stood up and walked into the Indian guy there. And yeah. you would have, you would have, that would have been starting yeah, a business. Yeah, and say, hey, I'm, I'm a know? business, I'm delivering food, would you yeah. mind if I just go from there? Yeah. So I think I, I wanted to start a salad bar at UCD, and I just don't know why I didn't. Um, I kind would of. You not rent, you'd have to rent a place and like. Yeah, no, no, I wanted to do like a van, salad van. Oh, really? Yeah, and the reason I didn't is because the turnover of food was going to be too hard to manage mm. and you have to get it inspected the food inspected nearly every day yeah. or whatever all that stuff that was the reason why but like now if someone said that was the thing getting in the way i just move <laughs> them out of the way and I'd do it <laughs> you know it would be e- like that's an easy problem to push through yeah and I just I wish I did it in mm. college is that what would your biggest regret for college be? probably not starting a business yeah just give um, it a crack if it goes tits up it goes tits up you're yeah. fine you're in college like, yeah and then you've got a better CV coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. but then I suppose, like, was having a lot of fun. Probably a good, good point in your life to, like, not take yourself too seriously or think about careers. But then again, we that's... We did that well. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> did that well. The other thing, though, is that's probably why the Reed Hoffmans of the world are getting ahead and building billion-dollar businesses, because when we're going out drinking on a Wednesday night in Dicey's, they're, like, spending 12 hours building a yeah. platform. Yeah, true. So it's kind of like, right, well, you can talk about it and you can do it, but, like... You didn't do it, yeah, and and that's kind of the way that I look back and say like maybe, maybe that's just not my personality, or maybe it can be if I give it a go or mm. what it might be. But no, I agree. Um, what is the reason you wake up now? Like, how is that different to to the reason for college? Um, like a lot of like, I'm I'm definitely quite driven career wise, so I enjoy like progressing, doing well at work, um, like the software that we sell creates opportunity for people so when I mentioned like the talent and opportunity yeah. thing, like this is helping in Africa like we're helping people get jobs through our platform yeah. connecting talent opportunity so like that's definitely a big thing I really enjoy that like if I was selling something that like really didn't have any value or like made people's lives worse if it was like a pyramid scheme like that would be something that I would hate Yeah. Um, so I enjoy that part of it um, and a big thing for me is like family and all that sort of stuff everyone's healthy like you can see all my family all the time yeah. and enjoy that you know that's something that I've probably learned in here from a good few really smart people it's like this is a career like you're you're doing this as a means to an end for your family life and spend yeah. friends with your family and all that sort of stuff so that's really what I'm waking up for to be honest um, I love that idea mm-hmm. because that's something I talk about a lot is that like people think someone says what do you want to do with your life and they start saying well I want to do the accounting exams and I want to do whatever that's not your life that's your yeah, career yeah. they're very very different you're not going to look back and say when you're on your deathbed like Jesus thank God I spent three yeah. years doing that so yeah for sure but I think people need to look out on them differently this is what I want for my career this is what I want for my life and this is how I'm going to reconcile them and yeah. make them work in tandem harmonious yeah um, what have you learned in the last couple of years since starting to work and I guess they, they could be professional lessons or personal lessons mm-hmm. and if I asked you to write a list, it would go on and on. But yeah. is there one resounding lesson that you've learned maybe about the world or about life or about work? The best, yes, the best piece of advice I got 
was actually off the guy that gave that talk in UCD, Gordon Tobin. Is really? The guy, yeah. So he's been kind of a mentor to me over the last three and a half years. Um, and I was chatting to him about six months into sales development. And that's kind of like, first six months in a sales role, like you're probably making all the mistakes of like, um, you're probably doing the job, not really as effectively as you could. You're trying to learn the best ways to do it. You might yeah. be having a row with someone over or something. Um, and I was like, you know, I really want to get promoted. I want to, like, this guy got promoted after like a year and a year and one month. I want to try and get promoted after a year. And he's kind of like, he's kind of saying, you know, you are looking at the world and comparing yourself to others to set your goals. You know, if you're comparing yourself to others, there's one of two outcomes can happen. You're either going to be arrogant because you're better than them, or you're jealous because you're not as good as them right. on that specific day. And he goes, if you're setting goals that lead to an outcome of arrogance or jealousy, you're going to be pissed off with your life either way. Yeah. So I was kind of like, Jesus, I didn't really expect him to yeah. give me that sort of advice. So he was like, compete with yourself, always have your own goals, and don't compare yourself to others because yeah. it's, a, it's a non-sum game. Like You can't come out on top. Um, so that was a big thing, and it, it really changed my whole perspective on the way that I sell, the way that I work with other people in the company, um, because you're not then thinking about you know, if this person closes that deal, then I lose my promotion. You know, mm-hmm. That's not the way that I think at all. Um, and I think that it, is the most common way for people to think in, yeah. in work. If he does that, then I'm going to lose this. Yeah, which is a non-sum game. Like, then you're going to be jealous. Yeah. Like, what's that about? Like, why, why are you jealous of this person? Like, yeah. um, so yeah, a big thing. That was definitely the biggest thing. That's and it's huge. something that I'm going to take forever in life. Like, not just necessarily in a professional yeah, context. Yeah, for sure. Not here in like you know, this Instagram star makes 600 grand a year and, you know, now I'm jealous. Yeah. It's like, that's his journey. Like, yeah. why would you want, like, why are you comparing yourself to that? If you're yeah. not on that sort of journey, that's irrelevant. Yeah. So, uh, definitely a big thing for me is just running my own race. That's, um, that's brilliant. I love that. And I've been thinking, that's a lesson that's kind of only hit me in the last, like, maybe six months. Probably while I was traveling, I guess it just kind of hit me. I think it might be a millennial thing. I've, uh, I've no, seen, I think it's a human thing. I think, think, I think everyone thinks competitive. Whenever you, uh, who was your man, Simon Sinek, he gave that talk about like millennials and the workforce yeah. and type of stuff. I think that it's slightly connects to it. I think it's definitely more in people our age that are very oh, conscious yeah. of, you know, I need to get promoted after one year and eight months or I'm going to be in this role by this time. It's not productive. Well, I guess the, the nature of, and I, it's, it seems that every bloody podcast I do, I slam <laughs> Instagram. But <laughs> I just think that a platform like Instagram means that we literally spend our spare time looking at the people in our frame of reference. Comparing yourself. Yeah, so you compete with people who are only with who are within your frame of reference, so yeah. you can see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not competing with a guy, um, in an office in Boston doing something because I can't. Yeah. I don't know what don't know who he is. Like, yeah. you know? But if I if he's in my frame of reference, yeah. and I see him working. I'm like, ooh, what's he doing, and where am I compared yeah. to him? So we're constantly checking in on our frame of reference yeah. and the people within it on yeah. Instagram and on different platforms. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so you're right, that does feed in for sure. And it should be a thing where people say, okay, they're doing well, forget about that. Where am I in my situation? What are my goals? What yeah. am I doing to achieve them? I think that's way more important. I think, way think. So this lesson came to me in the last, like, uh, in the last six months. And like when when I hit, when these things hit me, I think like really kind of hard and deeply about them. <laughs> and I'm like, how can I master this? And I started doing um, two exercises. One was an empathy exercise because I've tried to meditate. And like, <clears throat> I just I like intensity and I like kind of madness. And meditation is very very difficult. Yeah. And I and I think everyone has that. 
But I started doing, uh, well, I just made this up. I made it up as an empathy exercise. And I started thinking, like, say, tonight now I'll go home and I'll think, I was with Ross today and I, uh, I did something that annoyed him. Mm. And, how, and I tried to put myself fully in your shoes. Like, how did that appear to him completely? Mm-hmm. And then you bring that exercise into the emotional realm where, say, it's a, a girl and a breakup or something. You think, how did that feel for her? Or you bring it into a family member in a row. How did that feel for him or her? And if you just try to get on the same page as people, mm. like, in, in, just internally, just think, how would that have felt and experienced for her? You become much better at focusing on your own um, race it's, it's mm. almost counterintuitive yeah. but if you, you, you end up just focusing on your own path because you can understand better what other people are going through and how mm. different it is to what you're experiencing so that was one and then the second one is practice being genuinely happy for people when yeah. they get the good news because yeah. we all have to admit that it's a human thing to sometimes not be yeah. where they say oh mate I got my promotion you're like oh yeah congratulations you little bastard yeah. like, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking like yeah. what's in it for me almost yeah yeah. and it's a human thing nothing to feel bad about or to be embarrassed about if you can master tackling that and getting over that I think that's a long way to getting on your own there are definitely two things that I've tried to do um, and I definitely do feel like whenever someone gives me good news I'm genuinely happy for them Yeah. Um, and there are people I know even internally here you'd say like oh I got a promotion and then you can tell they're like no that's one gone that I yeah. and it's kind of like that's you just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth it does, but um, it's not their fault. It's, it's not their fault thing, at all. You know? And it's like a big thing in here in LinkedIn that I've been really, really impressed with is Jeff Weiner and the way that he speaks about uh, compassionate leadership. Um, and, you know, if you're in a leadership role in the company, it's your job to put yourself in your, maybe your direct uh, line employee, their shoes and understand, you know, did they just break up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend? Yeah. Or did something happen or did I say something the wrong way that they misinterpreted uh, and recognising that you know, your emotions are, are probably pretty uh, out of your control for most people yeah. um, and not reacting in, a, in an aggressive way or because it's easy for if I come to you say you're my manager and say you know, I'm not happy with this situation for you to say you should be happy you just got promoted yeah. and problem solved whereas in reality you should be like okay what's going on yeah. you know tell me about what you're not happy with like what can what can I do to help? Like, is mm. there something happened in your personal life that, that I should be aware of? And actually putting yourself in the other person's shoes before yeah. trying to fix the problem. And that's what he talks about with compassionate leadership. And he gives all these talks on YouTube and stuff about it. And it's like mind blown. Like every time I see him speak, it's just like really? Jesus, I'm a terrible Jesus. human being compared to this <laughs> man. Like that's going to the top yeah. of my list. I yeah. my guy in Google Scott was a bit like that as well. Yeah. I'm just thinking as you talk to him, like God, I need to surround myself with people like this. Yeah. That's a huge part it's of hard professional to do, personal development. It is. They're you know, they're they're not Growing a dime trees, a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> they're like I've, I've kind of met one. Like Scott <laughs> Scott was the guy and I was like, Oh my god, this is <laughs> they're out there. Like, you know, it's like you're walking through the fields and you meet a unicorn, you're like, What? <laughs> Um, if you get one it's like it's, you know the, the hot crazy scale it's like a professional unicorn if you see one grab onto them and just like don't <laughs> let go because there's so much you can learn from people like that yeah. and they are on YouTube That's the, you know that might be the closest you get yeah, to one more than um, but you know go on YouTube and learn from them because yeah. they are very very unique um, and last question any quote that you have stuck by or that has inspired you in the past 
if if it's win you, if it's run your own race, run your own race is a good one. Um, I have a thing on my screensaver on my laptop, and people always say, like, "What's that about? Why do you have that on your screensaver?" Um, and it just says, um, "What is it again?" Jeez, I've, I'm so tuned out from work being off for two weeks. Um, work hard and be nice to people. That's like a good thing to think about. Like, yeah. Work hard and be nice to people. Like that's what I have as my screensaver. It's just something to remind you. It's like. Just do those two things and you're going to win in life. Like, Keep it simple. You know? Yeah, like two things to do. Yeah. Um, that would be my favourite quote probably. Very good. I'll put that in as well. <laughs> Okie doke. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We actually ran over time. An hour and ten minutes. <laughs> um, two commerce squads. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> two um, but no, thanks a million for coming in. Great fun. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. And good luck in us. Cheers. Okay, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought it was a really good episode and very, very informative, um, one of the best yet, in my opinion. So I took away 10 things from that that I thought I'd bring up in the digest. First one goes to all students, and as you heard, I was bad at this. I, I was actually really bad at it, and Rust um, seemed to have pretty much gotten a career out of it, is go to the events that are on, on campus. So if you look at, and, we, and we're sticking to the example of tech companies here, if you look at Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn, they don't really compete that much for audience. They, they have different offerings. Where they compete very, very intensely is for talent. So as Ross said, these guys aren't going out to the campus to talk about their products and that sort of thing. They're going out to market themselves to you. They're looking for you, not the other way around. So it's the perfect opportunity to go up and say, hi, I'm actually open to hearing your pitch to me. Um, give it to me. See, what can you offer me? What's it like in there? Etc. That You are the talent that these companies are looking for. So take advantage. Firstly, acknowledge and realize that. Um, acknowledge the dynamic that they are the ones who are after you and take advantage of that situation and learn as much as you can from these events. Obviously, he said learn pre-interview if you're going for an internship um, or for uh, a full-time job and you've done the internship. Learn what they're looking for in a full-time employee or in an intern before going in for it. So if you're going in for a sales role, there's a fair chance you might be a pretty outgoing person, which increases the chances that you might know someone in there. So reach out to that person. People are always happy to help. A lot of the time with these tech companies, actually, how it works is they're so protective of their cultures that they want to hire friends of current employees. So they encourage employees to refer friends in, which um, they do by offering them bonuses. So if you've got a friend working for Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, whoever it might be, you'd actually be doing them a favor by asking them to refer you in because they might make a couple of grand out of it. So bear that in mind. Don't be shy about doing that. Thirdly, we discuss languages, and, and as we are kind of saying, languages are a really good strength to pick up, and if you're not numerically inclined, they are a very good competitive advantage that you can pick up against your peers, and will massively broaden both the, the job market for you, and the world in general. I mean, being, or being able to speak Spanish opens up South America, Spain as well, learning Portuguese will open up Brazil, which is one of the biggest markets. Um, Mandarin is a is a increasingly popular language. French. There's loads of great things you can do with learning a language. So don't underestimate that. I think that's becoming much more 
uh, important and valued by these companies as, as the years go on as well. Look for a company with mobility if you're keen on traveling. These companies, the, the modern companies and the modern tech companies, definitely offer it because it's it's becoming increasingly important to employees that they can um, almost have their cake and eat it too. They can have a career and travel the world at the same time. So they really make it um, feasible for you to, to do that within their grad programs or their uh, general structure. So look for companies that do offer mobility. Ask about it. It's becoming a really um, important part of what people look for from a from an employer. You're going to start with a crap job. You're going to start doing cold calls or whatever it might be. Accept that. I think that's a really good uh, place to learn, as Ross said as well. Um, you, you can learn a lot within a year of doing that. And before you know it, you'll be out of it. And you'll be much better off, especially as an entrepreneur later on, if that's what you're into, um, for having done cold calls, uh, cold emails, or whatever other heavy lifting was required by you or for you when um, when you went in. Six, do your trips. The way he's going to Australia, the way I went to South America, and um, do these trips now because, as he said, it was number seven. Freedom increases the the value of money. I mean, it's your graduate years. It's your twenties when you have no responsibility other than those you have to yourself to have a good time and grow as much as you can. So definitely take advantage of any time. Uh, or opportunity you have to travel and do all the trips that you want to do because um, before you know it, you'd be, you'd be tied down and you won't have the, the freedom to do it. Eight, he recommended looking at the blitz scaling videos. I've nearly finished them now. There's uh, 21 of them. They're really, really good. Blitz scaling. Type it into YouTube. Um, if you're interested in being a tech entrepreneur or just learning about how those people work and how some of the world's most recognized brands today have grown, you can hear it directly from uh, the founders and the people that actually grew those brands. So that's a great thing, blitz scaling. Um, nine, I found his answer to the change you'd wish to see in the world. Really interesting, the talent imbalance. Um, and I just wanted to flag that because it really kind of got me thinking and might get you thinking as well. And 10 then, one of the most important things, probably the most important thing he said, and one of the most important things that can be said, I think, on this podcast is to just focus on your own race. I think... When you're young, when you're particularly um, in the business environment or any professional environment, you have a tendency to become quite competitive with um, your peers and with yourself as well. Um, It's good. It can bring the best out of you for sure, but it can also sort of maybe affect um, your well-being and that sort of stuff as well. So the most important thing that uh, one of the most important things that I've learned and, and we both agreed on it as you heard was to be able to focus on your own race and just your own development irregardless of uh, what's going on with those around you. I think that becomes a very, very useful skill um, and is good for keeping good peace of mind. So uh, the, the sooner you learn that lesson and try to put it into practice, the better. So they were my 10 takeaways. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I thought it was very informative and we'll be back with another next week when we learn about life inside Google in Dublin.